That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What say you, Richard Ellick Murdoch? Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay. And the whole point is to have this not fall in the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. I'm mad as hell. I mean, I, you, you just don't know how mad I am. But on the other hand, I'm not saying that because he did that, He's done what he's accused of. Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders Money and Mystery. I'm Ann Emerson. I'm joined by our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon, who is also South Carolina's former attorney general. I have our executive producer, Drew Tripp here, who has been live blogging this whole fascinating day, 22, week five of the Murdoch trial, and we have Max Harrison running all the production and also fielding questions on some of our live streams that we have. And of course, you find us on our podcast streams tonight as well. I want to go straight into what we just heard was Mark Ball. He was a defense witness, um, we thought. <laughs> um, so basically, he was brought in by the defense, and I don't mean that lightly, but seriously, uh, the way he testified, he could have been on either side at one point. What do you think about how, how did that go down, Charlie? Uh, I, I just thought that it was brilliantly handled by Assistant Attorney General Creighton Waters. He turned him from a defense witness. And he did say some things helpful to the defense, but what I think everyone's going to remember, in particular the jurors, would be the cross-examination by Creighton Waters. Um, he, he had really good, what I call, pace and tone. He had volume up and down, and he, he conducted, that's the word I would use, he conducted a planned out, very effective cross-examination on this witness that I believe went much longer than the direct examination. And by the end of it, I saw Attorney Ball as a very, very powerful witness for the state of South Carolina. And what Creighton Waters did with him is he went through in very detailed fashion, really the egregious breaches of trust by this defendant. That would be the way I think I would characterize it, that he just did everyone wrong, so to speak, over an extended period of time and really bolstered the state's theme throughout this trial is that people who thought they knew Alec Murdoch, in fact, did not know him. And it was a masterful performance. I thought it was brilliant. And if I had to rank attorney performances thus far, and I do want to disclaim he actually was appointed as an assistant attorney general during my term as attorney general. Sure. So I want to put that out there. But I'd have to rank it certainly, if not at the top, near the top. 
Oh, that's fascinating. Um, Drew, I wanted to play the clip. Did you have something to add before I play the clip of Mark Ball? No, I just a little bit to the to the point that Charlie first made about he also scored some points for the defense, right? And it, it became very obvious today the defense's strategy. And and to use uh, something that I, if you've followed along on Twitter with me today, as I've just kind of been offering uh, commentary aside from the live blog, it was very evident the state put SLED on trial today. They were putting SLED and their investigation. The defense, right. The defense uh, uh, yes, I'm so sorry. The, the defense. They they were putting the state's investigation on trial and putting it out there for the jury to see and really, really hammering that home. They've hammering home that point they've tried to make since day one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, you know, there's all stuff going to saying if you don't have the facts on your side, try the law. If you don't have the law on your side, try the prosecutor or try the state. So I think that's exactly right. I did, I did think as a defense strategy and, again, practicing criminal defense and being actively involved with that, it's, it, 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 it can work. And, yeah, I thought Mark Ball, from that perspective, he was just – he was so observant and so mm-hmm. keen uh, as to what he was seeing and being immediately taken aback by what was going on and, like – are you sure? We, we, he brought up the anecdote of coroner Richard Harvey coming up and saying, hey, Sled's here. You guys got to leave the crime scene going up to the house. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. You mean the house isn't the crime scene too? <laughs> like, Are you sure they, we yeah. should go to the house? It, it, it's. Um, I thought it was doubly effective. But at the end of the day, back to Charlie's original point and, and, and he was turned. He was turned right before everyone's very eyes, and he became a very, very strong asset for the state and prosecution. Well, let's play the clip because he takes us all the way through the, there was so much from Mark Balt. I mean, oh my gosh, we did stories on it. You've got a live blog. Mm-hmm. We talked about it mm-hmm. in our, uh, but there was so much because as Drew just said, mm-hmm. and it was my biggest note on him, he practically had a photographic memory. He took you back to the moment all of this went down. He would tell you where he was sitting, what he was thinking when it happened, what was the weather like, or that he was sitting on a tractor when he first heard about something and maybe because these things were so traumatizing that's why yeah and i thought it was interesting most uh i think I would... sometimes said that lawyers can sometimes make the worst witnesses in mm-hmm. a way but he was the sort of witness that 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 when you asked him a question he wouldn't he would not only just he would answer it right. and then he would give all sorts of extra information so from that standpoint i just really thought the the the, the state had a field day with him. And the yeah. defense made some points, but I just thought he was just great. I mean, the, the, the color that he had relative to the criminal activity of Defendant Murdoch was, I thought, just so, gosh, it just made him look so bad. It was devastating. Mm-hmm. Well, let's listen. This is basically, I think this clip basically takes us to September when Mark Ball is still... I think holding on to that Alec is mm-hmm. a victim mm-hmm. and Alec is his friend and Alec would never do anything to betray him mm-hmm. and that he was just there trying to figure out who killed Maggie and Paul. Mm-hmm. I would have never believed that a guy that was like family would have ever stolen from me, would have stolen from his family, would have stolen from his clients or any of that. You've got this rage, this emotion that you've got. And then on the third we go through this whole ordeal of the termination and then the fourth it hits and you're like, you know, did the Jack kill himself? Yeah. 
We bleeped it that part because he said it a couple of times in court. But yeah, I mean, he was like basically, did he really just try and kill himself? I mean, that was basically what he was saying. And it did not sound like he, he was so upset about what he had discovered at the firm. It really, I don't understand exactly why the state why the defense would have called somebody that was obviously speaking to the state so much Creighton Waters even said a couple of times well we talked about this Mark we talked about this and I'm like wait a minute but he's the defense's witness yeah you know I've been on both sides of that and, and I, I'm, I don't think they'll call a similar witness because it is true when you're prosecuting cases and I know I've done this many, many times, you can actually get lots of information from a defense witness that proves the state's case. And so that is, goes without saying. So I know that the defense attorneys knew this, but I guess I am to share your, your train of thought that obviously he'd been so cooperative with both sides that the information that they must have known that he had was going to be brought out by Prosecutor Waters. And Wow. Did he, again, I hate to keep harping on this, but, but the, it wasn't just that he brought it out. It was the pause. He started off strong and then the pause. And then he looked at the jury at, at, at key moments and mm -hmm. his voice went up and down at the right moments. He com I would use the word, he commanded that courtroom. There were no objections from, from the defense mm -mm. because I don't, uh, I'm a little bit surprised I didn't try to break him up some, but I knew Judge Newman would allow it. So he had, mm -hmm. what was it, an hour and a half or so? Of uh, and, just and some negative information on the defendant. Mm -hmm. I, I was watching the jury in there, and I just have to say, they looked upset, mm -hmm. especially when we were talking about the financial victims. These mm -hmm. were oh, the gosh, financial, yeah, went the, the vulnerability. Yeah, there the were fact friends that, with Alex, and oh, how he knew them. Oh. Friend that had cancer. Yeah, and the one that needed the money for housing or something, yeah. for his wife was dying or something. So, and you can bet that scored some points with the people who have been watching this trial as spectators because one of the big one of the big threads uh in in this uh, like un untied unconnected dots in all this was the alec murdoch barrett bowler connection and mm -hmm. oh didn't your ears go up oh that? yes immediately yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this was a fitz news story way back in 2021 trying to you know tie all the way back to operation jackpot and make the connection between boulder and murdoch and kind of going a little bit into boulder's background and he, he does and he it. owned moselle didn't he and he owned that? moselle before he owned moselle before alec did and it comes out today and i think they got into it a little bit with Jeannie Seconder that you know, there's this implication of what what might Alec and Barrett have been up to uh, as, as buddy-buddy good pals with all their land deals and, and things like that. And that's fine. That, that's, a, that's a perfectly plausible mm -hmm. avenue of exploration when you're trying to piece this together and piece together motive as an investigative journalist. But when they said, oh yeah, by the way, this guy who maybe has a little bit of a checkered past who Alec had close ties to, yeah, he stole from him too. Three, yeah. And it, he, while he was dying of colon cancer and he needed money for, for his wife to have a place to stay where, while he was in the hospital so she could be with him, Alex stole from them too. Allegedly. Uh, yeah. And he had Mark Ball, he had Mark Ball um, go over that. Right. It was very effective. Uh, it, that, was the, that was the innuendo. That was the insinuation. Mm -hmm. Creighton didn't say that, obviously. But if you've been following along with the you, you, that immediately, like Ann said, it perked my ears up. And then Creighton got to dig into a little old lady, a little sweet old lady. 
Murdoch stole from. Just little things like that all throughout, uh, just really well, right and, in the face. Well, and the jury just was watching this go down. And I guess they, they had heard about the vulnerability from Tony Satterfield and some of the other uh, you know, people about the victims, but for whatever reason, this just kind of really dug in there. We're so late into the trial right now to hear that from a defense witness. Right, too. right. Ouch, and also, yeah, ouch, ouch. yeah. And and this clip, as I recall too, when the the Jack Blank came out, that mm -hmm. was in reference to where the roadside shooting. And mm -hmm. Creighton made the point again was, well, here he's talking about being a victim again, and you got this. I just thought it was very powerful because then it was like, oh yeah he he keeps using that when he uh, you know he he in effect is involved with acts of violence and this is their motive right mm -hmm. I mean this is what yeah, they're trying to that make that back to the allegations or the or the states you know that he committed he he would the unthinkable became thinkable in Alec Murdoch's world right so it was huh it was and a I, moment yeah and I know these jurors are not supposed to use this information it's motive only not character assassination but again I'm I'm, I'm confident they will do their duty but that's going to be a challenge. And but, you saw Alex's face yeah after Mark Ball and I I made a point about that but to Charlie's point at what you can use kind of like a, a horseshoe analogy, mm -hmm. uh, a, a upside down horseshoe where it makes this motion. At what point at the bottom of that horseshoe does character and motive intersect a little bit with, with it? With, and I think that's what we're getting. We're kind of almost backing our way into it a little bit. And I think one of the ways we got there with Mark Ball was his testimony. It, and this also goes to your point, Ann, about, um, uh, about the effectiveness of Mark Ball and the jury. His testimony about Paul, and it was it was strong when Ronnie Crosby gave it, and it was strong when we've heard other people get, give it. But Mark Paul got up there and talked so glowingly. Mm -hmm. He talked honestly about Paul Murdoch, and he said that he had he was a wonderful young man with devilish ways, mm -hmm. and he had so much potential, unmet potential. He was the he was a good boy, and he would do anything in the world for you, and so, so did. Barbara Mixon to that point. We've repeatedly heard it over, but Mark Ball's testimony about Paul mm -hmm. and that in particular, I think might've been the thing more than anything, more than the little old ladies that hooked the jury. And it, I think it does at a certain point, the character, it, yeah, the, the character goes beyond the motive and the, or the motive goes beyond the character and they, they can't you can't go have one without the other a little bit and i think is what the point i feel like i'm trying to make with that a little bit and how do you consider one without the other at this well, point and i don't think you can can you i mean you're you well the being. law is full of many um what's the word i would use uh legal theories mm -hmm. and maxim and so I know Judge, in fact, he instructed them three times already, hasn't he, on this evidence to only be considered for motive and not for, not for anything else. But I must say, in this trial, I don't know if I've ever been involved with something, and it's been, we're in the fifth week, and the amount of negative information on this defendant is massive, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, it's just massive. Forget the allegations of murder. And... Just from my standpoint, also being involved with representing victims of, you know, from a civil standpoint, wrongful death cases and things, I kept thinking during the trial, the only thing worse that a lawyer could do from stealing from someone like Tony Satterfield would be murder. Yeah. And he's 
both of these are out there with the with the jurors now. But having said that, I will I will say these jurors of every day have been very attentive. Uh, I'm confident they will follow the judge's instructions mm. to the best of their ability. But they need to keep that in mind that that the instructions need to be first and foremost in that jury room, and they need to follow them because it is true they're not supposed to use it for character. They're just not. I mean, the, the character is not supposed to be used as proof of propensity to commit a crime or that he did in fact commit the crime. Do you think we got so? <clears throat> The Excuse negative me. character. Do you think we got so far down that road today because it was cross-examination? And I, I think I've heard it stated that cross-exam is wide open. Yeah, I think you even said that last night. Yeah, you no, it get- is in this state. But, you know, you, uh, let's assume there is a, a, a state's verdict and he's found guilty. The clear main issue on appeal is going to be this letting in this financial information. But I must say... Some of the moves by the defendant were they, Judge Newman talked about it, like you've gone across this bridge, I was going to keep this evidence out, and you went across the bridge. We we rode over, rode over the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> rode over the bridge. <laughs> there is this also concept on appeal, harmless error, that, wait a minute, now you, you it, it may not have been exactly right what the rulings, but here we are, it's, it's, it's since you brought it up, and mm-hmm. as part of your defense strategy, that that's another possible way this could result in appeal. But I've had cases reversed many times when I was prosecuting, and I must say you try and I learned on capital cases in particular to kind of hold back because you got to retry these cases, and I think they would retry this case if he's found uh, guilty and then reversed on appeal. But I feel like at this part of the emotional part of this trial, mm-hmm. that they're going for the, you know, they want to put the evidence in they think is, is, is admissible. I'm, I'm, I don't think they... I don't think they think that the defense is inviting error, so to speak. So I feel like they're being as aggressive as they need to be or want to be within the rules. I think they feel like they're safe. I do think the defense thinks they've got something on appeal. So that's going to be something, if there is a, a, a guilty verdict, we'll, we'll, about a year, year and a half from now. Well, speaking of defense strategy, <laughs> yeah. I, mentioned, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, they want to put the sled on trial, basically, mm-hmm. the defense did. And... To that end, Anne, mm-hmm. uh, we got some other defense strategy. And Charlie, we got some other, de- I feel like, defense strategy we need to go over. Are we ready to go there now? Um, I think we do need to go there um, because we are all sort of waiting with bated breath to see if um, the other lawyer sitting or the former lawyer sitting at their table actually wants wow. to take the stand. Um, Max, do we have that? I am not going to issue an order in advance limiting the scope of cross-examination. Any objectionable matter must be addressed on a, on a, uh, as the evidence is presented and not based on any advance ruling by the court. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. All right, so that was Judge Newman's ruling this morning in response to Jim Griffin and the defense 
trying to get ahead and Charlie, I, I want to toss it right over to you to get a better explanation uh, of this, but essentially Jim Griffin and the defense trying to get ahead of the possibility of them putting Alec Murdoch on the stand by limiting the scope of what he can be questioned about. Is that, is that yeah, a fair did, assessment? Did you catch it too uh, that Jim said in advance, I, I need to know this information so we can advise the defendant whether mm -hmm. or not to testify. So it really wouldn't surprise me if Alec himself might've been saying, Hey, go out there and, Get, get this advisory ruling so they can't ask me about it, so therefore I really should be testifying. I, I think there's some internals there that might be fascinating to know if we ever could know someday. But again, Judge Newman fan club, I thought the way he handled that was brilliant. It was brilliantly done because he allowed the argument to take place. He allowed uh, Creighton Waters to respond, and he had cases he was ready for the, uh, for the, uh, for, for the moment. And he did what I thought was exact right ruling. Don't issue an advisory ruling. Wait till it comes up in court. But you kind of got the feeling, didn't you, didn't you, didn't you think that he was going to let Creighton fully cross-examine? Yeah. Well, I do. And I also wonder if, in my mind, in, in my suspicious mind, I'm wondering, is Griffin and Harpulian doing this so that they can't be held liable or however you put it um, with their defendant? Because, you know, if Alec Murdoch chooses to take the stand, it felt very much like Griffin, this is just my layman's, he's looking at the judge saying, see, see, look, Alec, I can't protect you. I can't protect you from what's going to happen in this courtroom if you choose to take the stand because it is unusual. And I think most defense attorneys doing their job would say, be careful. This is just, Absolutely. this is a hornet's Absolutely. nest. Absolutely. I, I feel confident they're advising him not to testify and it wouldn't surprise me if he really wants to get up there. And regardless of, of how this goes, I think we're going to see a very interesting procedure, not in front of the jury, whereby there'll be a discussion with, with, between the court and the defendant and his attorneys mm. on whether or not he testifies or, or doesn't testify. And that's to protect the record. I think it's fair to everyone because it's a key moment in this trial, I do think, for him to have a chance of, of, of getting a not guilty verdict that he would need to come across as a good witness. He's got ears, as you said before, uh, about other matters, and he's got to know that this the evidence, particularly after today, I thought it just it feels like the jury is 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 um, not going his way. Again, it's difficult to predict what twelve people will do, but I do think that the, that that they're going to want to put on the record whatever decision is made by this defendant that is his decision. Uh, after being advised by his attorneys, and that he himself makes the decision. Well, and um, the the idea that Alec Murdoch takes the stand is so salacious, honestly. <laughs> right. That's a, I mean, wow. yeah. After all this, yeah. wow. um, wait, we got a question, Max. Yes. Tell us uh, from the prosecution standpoint, how do you prepare for such a uh, high level testimony? That's a great question. That's such a great question. Well. The, uh, the first thing you want to do for something like this is making sure you're well-rested. And a little exercise doesn't hurt. On top of that, this is a key moment in any criminal case, I think maybe in the history of South Carolina, because you've got a very able defendant. He's a former attorney, former prosecutor. He's going to know what you're going to come at him with. He... Apparently does have the gift of gab, as everyone described. I've never met him, but people trades describe in, him. Trades in people. What was it? Tra yeah. Trades and, in, in, in relationships, yeah, basically. And so, yeah. And so um, 
And it wouldn't surprise me if he has some sort of understanding of, 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 um, of the dynamics of the, of the workings of the current state of thinking in the courtroom, so to mm -hmm. speak. In other words, he's, uh, I noticed him, he's very active in, in advising the attorneys, mm -hmm. very talkative with them. So how do you prepare for this? The, it, there's, no, there's nothing that, that beats actually going through and sounding off of other people, I call them themes, and I'm sure, if you notice, Creighton today had this yellow pad. What I liked about what he did with his cross-examination, he just didn't walk up there and wing it. Mm -hmm. he, had a, he had an ordered, prepared direction on where he was. He conducted it. Mm -hmm. And I'm certain right now, I'd be just shocked if he doesn't have a notebook right now, yellow pad with themes on how to, to show the jurors that this defendant is guilty of murder. And... Off the top of my head, I can think of so many, but I do keep coming back to the kennel video. I mean, I think that one, I'm, I would expect he would play it. Is that your voice? Is that and your voice? Boom. You might even start off with that one. Mm -hmm. And then you could go through motivations and world falling apart and the people don't know Alex. And there's so many things, but great question. Uh, but preparation would be the key. And that is very interesting to me because so, there is a part of me, that, again, being a little suspicious and not not totally trusting all the process, but could this be a red herring trying to send the prosecution off on this, like, we need to prepare for the next couple of days for this Alec Murdoch eventual defendant testifying? That would take so much work for the prosecution to have to to be ready I for him, I right? personally think that, that is part of what's going on from the defense attorneys, but I also am sort of picking up a vibe, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but he really does want to testify. I think he really does. Okay. And uh, uh, just given his background, if you think about it, uh, successful attorney, uh, prosecutor. Last and, case. Yeah, and um, he's got to know, again, let's talk about what I say is a vibe in the courtroom, anybody, but I think someone with his background in particular and I'm assuming, right, that he would have access to other people talking with him besides his attorneys. I don't know if he's allowed to take jail calls or whatever, but mm. he's got a lot of family supporting him. And I think they're giving him perspective like, hey, Alec, um, what about this or that? We need to, you know, where it stands. I don't think you're getting a defense verdict. Uh, I would think. They're, and there's some very sharp, I mean, he's got a lot of talented people. For what you might think of the Murdochs, and I, I realize that a lot of people might paint the family with a broad brush, but they do have some talented people mm. in that family. No question. And, I, and I, they're supporting him. So I would think they'd give him some perspective on where the case stands right now. I think so. Um, go ahead. Here's my thought. And this is the, this is the thing I wanted uh, to get to. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, uh, inside, inside tease. Uh, you know, we're talking every day before we come on the air, or before we start recording. Before we start streaming, right before we start recording, we try to talk a little bit, but we also try to limit what we're talking about mm -hmm. to preserve some of it. Um, and to, I'll get to that in a second, what I wanted to ask you about. But just to, here's where my head's going. And this is building off of what the two of you were just saying. He's had, what, now almost two full years to think about his alibi and he gave it and it the one he gave for a while ended up coming back to bite him and it's cons consistently coming back to bite him right now but he's had a long time in jail to think about how to explain some of these loopholes he's had a long time off drugs to have a clear mind mm -hmm. and think about 
how he presents himself and he is again he has the gift of gab and he has this he does have a legal knowledge that we most lay persons don't have uh, he's got access to the the minds of his defense attorneys he's formulating a plan as he goes along and he's very if you watch him he's very clearly involved in it and with all that in mind to counter Charlie's point a little bit, you don't think he testifies. But, and I asked this to my friends over at the Post and Courier table in the media room this evening, right before we left, what does Alex have to lose? By not, but what does he have to lose by testifying? I mean, if if it's going so badly for him, uh, he's already going to spend the rest of his life in jail on the financial crimes. Uh, the only people I think that really have anything to lose are Jim Griffin and Dick Arputlian if their case gets blown up because then it, it hurts their business, right? But what does Alex have to lose by getting up there and testifying? I've been thinking that too. And I don't think he, but then I don't know his state. I don't really feel like I know his state of mind. Um, and I wonder how this is going to affect his relationship with Buster, with John Marvin, with Randy. If he just gets up there and says, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Does that help him with them? You know, I don't I, know. I think you might have persuaded me here, Drew, because uh, uh, it is true under the financial crimes, I think life without parole is a definite possibility if, if the state prosecutes it in a certain way. And he's got this legacy, right? I mean, he's, that's what's, the only thing left with him mm -hmm. would be to try and salvage that he didn't. I mean, it's, talk about a low standard, right? But if he can salvage that he didn't kill his wife and son, and even if he gets convicted, he can at least say, and a lot of people think this, if, if I didn't do it, I would sure talk right. and sure testify. And so the negative evidence against him is already out there. Uh, I think an obvious explanation he might offer would be, I was so much in shock, my mind must have gone blank with the shock of mm -hmm. seeing my wife. I wouldn't, I, he could, he's very good at crying. Mm -hmm. So we can expect a lot of emotion on there. So I think you might have something there. He, what's he got to lose? And then, it's like a hail mary at this point. Well, um, and also it's a it's an outreach worse. to his son, is outreach to his son and um, other family members that hey, I, I've been telling you I didn't do it, and here I'm testifying, and and I I, I know I, it looks I, bad, but I didn't do it. Yeah, and uh, just this is my story, and I'm sticking to it, and it 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 would have a certain I think reason for doing. It. I think it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Uh, and the the word. I mean, it could go horribly wrong because what if he gets up there and just says, "Nope, wasn't me on the video." And is in at that point. No, no, he. I would can't uh, imagine do that. He said, "Yeah, there are there are definitely yeah, scenarios yeah, where you have it could to accept that it's and I was mistaken. I thought I wasn't back there, and I was so whatever traumatized by it. I that would be my, my, sort of a you know post traumatic stress disorder type thinking that would be my next um that would be my next line of thinking is how does he explain it away how does he explain the kennel video and the other lies the clothes. And, and where did yeah. he put his clothes yeah, yeah. Well, how does he explain yeah. it um yeah. do you think he could take like yeah. gallery questions because yeah. i'd like to ask him a couple of questions while he's up there <laughs> <laughs> um, i'd like to know i just want to know you could see the jurors probably yeah. like to do it too as well but it's not allowed under I procedure mean, is it is is it right in front of her face? Is this is his alibi going to be out? Well, I was high, I was I was out of my mind, stoned on opioids, and I don't have a good reason for why I said I wasn't there. And mm -hmm. I, I 
you know, I, I just don't remember anything. And the about housekeeper that. did help him. Didn't you think we forget? We didn't have time to talk about that much. But the oh, housekeeper yeah. testifying that he wanted he she wanted him to to visit his mom that night. Yeah, that was that, was that did good. help a little bit. That did help. Uh, and to the uh, you know shifting gears here to the point coming full circle of you know what was the defense trying to accomplish today, which is to poke holes in how sled sure. and forensic analysts handled the investigation. It was plotting, it was slow, it was excruciating, as in my opinion, most of the cr examinations or cross-examinations by Phil Barber have been so far, just because he's so all over the place. Uh, that's my editorial comment for this evening. But in Phil Barber's direct exam of the defense forensic expert on cell phones that they brought today, he got clear answers that SLED didn't have and could have had. Hey, why did Maggie's camera turn on? I don't know. We didn't look at the data going all the way back to Brett Dove. I don't know. We didn't look at that data. Phil Barber for the defense brings up this guy from uh, Cleveland County, North Carolina, and it's like, hey, why did the phone camera turn on? Well, if you go into this metadata on this and this, open this spreadsheet, it's got a code, and I followed the code, and it says clearly that somebody opened that camera from the the lock screen of the phone. Like they pressed on the camera button and swiped it open and then immediately closed it. There's a, there's a metadata for everything. Mm -hmm. Just little things like that that weren't answered by SLED. And again, I've also, at the same time, while I'm making that point, SLED's not on trial. They are to an extent. Uh, obviously, they are to an extent. SLED, SLED is on trial and the investigation and how they handled it. it but the the blows, it feels like it, the blows landed by the defense along and along. Yeah, they explain away some things, but they don't explain away the big things. And how are you going to explain away the big things at this point unless you put Alec Murdoch up there to come up with a... Mm -hmm. Story. Yeah. And by the way, did you catch how the, I guess it was uh, John Meadows tried to tie in Colleton County Sheriff's Office mm -hmm. and SLED, oh. like, hey, the locals here, and we, 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 and I, you know, I, you and I probably disagree on this. I actually think overall that law enforcement's been great in this case. Yeah. I mean, here in the middle of, you know, rural South Carolina and great response, people got there, and yes, mistakes were made in hindsight, but wow, I mean, what they did, I, I, I just, I, I, I guess I'm, tend to be maybe more supportive of law well, enforcement than I most, but they, I thought they did a great job overall. I think they could have done more, mm -hmm. and I think we made that point today. Yes. I think we heard that. Mm -hmm. Somebody actually said it out loud. I can't remember exactly who it was, but they said, yeah, we could have done more. Maybe it was Mark Paul. Well, that more should have been done. No, it, that was Dick Harputlian with oh, okay. the forensic crime mm -hmm. scene expert from New Haven, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And he and he was a he was excellent, by the way. I, and he, I thought he was, he handled both John Metters and Dick Harputlian very well. But like, Mm -mm. No, no, no. You're not going to you're not going to trip me up and make me say, sound like I said something I didn't say. He handled that very well. I'll put a pin in this. I want to ask you about uh, John Metters and come back to that. But to my point about, yes, I, I do think I don't honestly think, Charlie, you and I are that far apart on SLED. I think there are some things that just to have a impenetrable, impregnable case that are in hindsight very obvious that they they could oh, have and should have done. Sure. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, the the balance the, the the scales are way 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 tipped in 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 the state's favor, and that's because of work SLED has done and these forensic analysts have done. So I'm not saying that they they failed completely or to a substantial extent that they're not going to get a conviction here because of it. It has just belabored the point and opened the door so much to 
doubt and how big is doubt in a case like this. Mm -hmm. Um, That's my one point on that. But John Metters, when he got up there and and he started cross-examining Mr. Uh, Xerxes from uh, New Haven, Connecticut and said, Mr. Wouldn't you just love to be in Laura Rutland's shoes? And he's like, who's Laura Rutland? <laughs> oh, you don't know who Laura Rutland is? I thought you examined all the defenses. Uh, I thought you examined all the case files from this. No, I just examined what the defense gave me. Oh, so you haven't read through all the state's work. And this here again, to your point about uh, the work that SLED actually did and the, and the law enforcement actually did. Oh, that, I thought that was brilliant. That was such a trial. Yeah, it was that was, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, at this point, it, it's becoming Dick versus John Metters, Jim versus Creighton a little bit. And then it, and it, it's the, the kind of the underneath players under the end. And just, oh, do, I don't, Max, did we, did we end up with this soundbite? We sure did. So this, let's set this up. Um, but go ahead, Drew. I'll let you set this up. Oh, it's just the. Just the best uh, <laughs> where, you know, we'll go back to yesterday and throughout the trial, really, uh, the every attorney at some point has gone up very close to the witness stand to talk with him. There's a little doorway. You can see it on the camera. They go up and talk to him in the door and they back up in the doorway a little bit and talk, you know, looking over the shoulder, right side by side with him so the jury can see and Dick Harputlian, because he cannot help himself, he's physically incapable of making the worst possible joke at the worst possible times. And he's demonstrated that ever since I first seen him on camera, however many months ago, he made a very off-color joke toward the def- the state's prosecution table yesterday. And let's go into the soundbite from there. Well, you said that the you last- they were standing up, badgering this witness next to him. He can read it. He can comment from back here. He's in the doorway, but again, I object. For clarity. This, this moment. Um, he's, he's been the objection is to you standing in the doorway. He's been standing up here the whole no. time. Aimed a gun at us yesterday for me. <laughs> he aimed a gun at us from here yesterday. <laughs> the goose good for the gander is a rule, um, and I can't find it in my rule book. <laughs> Well, we're operating with limited space. Um, just as a matter of trial procedures, extremely unusual for counsel to um, stand in the locations where counsel have been standing throughout the trial. Uh, but given the limited space, that's somewhat understandable. But he has moved to the podium. Go right ahead. I know. So basically, he was saying that Metters had to move back to the podium and have his back to the to the gallery. And Metters likes to be up close and personal with the jurors and with um, the witnesses to be able to tell his points. But yeah, it was great. It was it was uh, it, we've had courtroom theatrics. And if anyone, you know, if you've been watching what's been going on on these feeds, it's uh, it really is something to watch. And we're going to have more tomorrow. Yes. It went to end on. That was that was a moment. It would not surprise me. I would be equally unsurprised that John Metters and Dick Harputlian hate each other at, that, than if they were best of friends outside of court. And, and that's the type of relationship we're seeing here. I don't know. Just that's all well, I think for today. It's, it's work, right? They're lawyers and this is work and they're, they're at their, their place of business. Yeah, and, yeah. and we're all yeah. just... Um, mm-hmm. 
we're all just watching it, aren't we? So tomorrow we've got a whole nother day to watch and see what happens and see who takes the sand and who doesn't take the sand. So we will be bringing you more on this podcast tomorrow night from all of us at Unsolved South Carolina. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Um, if you have enjoyed this, please um, send us a little love with a five-star rating and maybe a review on one of your favorite platforms with podcasts. We'd love to, um, it's an e it's basically helps everybody find our podcast. So we're hoping that you can do that. Also, please keep an eye out for Unsolved South Carolina, Finding Brittany Drexel. It's also under this franchise. It's on a different stream. Check it out if you like Unsolved South Carolina, and we appreciate it. Y'all have a great night.